You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan, for the grand introduction. Um, Why don't I just give you a little snapshot of my life so that you kind of have a little bit of a context for who I am. I'm going to tell you three things. One, I got married last March to an amazing woman. Heyo. Two, I work in a third space coffee shop. And three, I'm very passionate about golf. Not just any kind of golf, though. Real golf. Disc golf. Okay? Frisbee golf, some of you may know it as, but you would be a little bit mistaken. It's disc golf. How many people have played disc golf? Okay, we can be friends. The rest of you, you're probably wondering why there's a giant nerd up here speaking today, uh, but we'll get through it. I'm excited to be here. Um, You guys have been going through the book of Luke in the summer, and so we're going to continue in Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 12 is our our text, uh, verses 13 to 21. And as I prepared this week, uh, and I looked at this text, I began to feel somewhat unsettled throughout the week. As I read it and read it again, I began to feel a little bit unsettled and, and maybe even just shaken up or stirred a little bit. And so I want to encourage you, if that's how you feel at some point tonight, and maybe you'll even leave feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit shaken up, a little bit unsettled or stirred, uh, I want to encourage you just to press into that because sometimes God shakes us up and he stirs us and then he encourages us and he blesses us and he reorients us towards a vision of the kingdom. And so tonight we're going to be in Luke 12, chapter 13, uh, Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. And, and I'm excited because on the one hand, there's this passage, it deals with uh, a real life situation, kind of a, a small snapshot, something that we could probably all relate to. And yet, on the other hand, it it deals with this big issue. Uh, We can zoom out, and it's actually a big picture issue. Um, And it's this issue, it's this idea, and I'm going to call it tonight the good life. The good life. What is it? It's this idea in our head of what life could look like, what life should look like, maybe. This idea of, of if you could have it your way, what would the good life look like? And I'm going to be asking you tonight, what is shaping your vision of the good life? What is shaping your vision of the good life? So if you feel a little bit unsettled, uh, I want to encourage you. God wants to reorient you towards a biblical vision of the good life tonight, and I'm hoping that you leave feeling that way. The good life. My, my in-laws, they have, uh, they have a boat, and so uh, oftentimes in the summer, on the weekends, we'll go boating. And after we've gone for a cruise and we've done some wake surfing and we've had like food, like chips and fruit and veggies and, and pop and all the rest. And, and sometimes we'll just be floating in the lake and the sun is shining. There's no smoke in the air, uh, unlike tonight. Um, we're floating and, and someone will say, ah, oh, this is the good life. This is the life. Have you, ever, have you ever heard that? No joke. On Friday, as I was preparing for this, I was preparing this, this message tonight. Um, I had the day off work, and my wife was, uh, my wife was out, and she was coming back um, for lunch, and so I was going to make her this extravagant, luxurious meal, bacon and eggs. Uh, and, and so I'm frying up the bacon, and she walks in, and no joke, I had just been like preparing this, and she walks in, and she's like, 
oh, this is the life. My stay-at-home husband making me food. And maybe that's your vision of the good life, a stay-at-home husband who makes you food. Uh, and that's okay, but we're going to try and get something a little bit deeper than that. But the reason I want to talk about this tonight, this idea of the good life, is because we often make decisions based on our idea of what life should and could look like. We, we make decisions, big decisions sometimes, based on this idea of what should life look like for me. And so tonight, again, I hope you leave with uh, being reoriented towards a biblical vision of the good life, towards God's vision of the good life, because it's good and it's fulfilling, and God has good things for you. So let's jump into our text, Luke 12. The context here is, is Jesus is speaking to a large crowd. So it says this, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get your stuff that you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. The good life. In this text, uh, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd and, and a man yells out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In that culture, what would happen is uh, if a father died and he didn't leave a written will, the oldest son would inherit the land. The younger sons would work the land with the older son, but the older son would have the land, unless the older son decided to divide the land with his younger brothers. So he would get the biggest portion because he's the oldest son, and his brothers would get a smaller portion. And so chances are, this is the younger brother yelling out, Jesus, tell my older brother to divide the land with me. I want what's, what's mine. Um, and Jesus, he, he goes a different direction, as he usually does. When people tell Jesus to do something, he kind of turns it on them. He goes a different direction. Uh, and, and he uses this as a teaching moment, and he talks about, uh, he tells them this parable. And so in this parable, immediately we see this vision of the good life. This man in the parable, he has a vision of the good life, of what life should look like. We see it pretty much immediately. Uh, his, his vision of the good life is a life where he has an abundance of resources, of wealth, of grain stored up for many years, and he can eat, drink, and be merry. He can put his feet up. He can float out on Okanagan Lake with not a care in the world for years to come. The good life. What is shaping your vision of the good life? Because there's a turning point in this story. The man has more than he needs. He's a, he's a rich man to begin with. He's not a poor man who then kind of hits the lottery. He's a rich man who then hits the lottery. And he's got to figure out, what am I going to do with all my stuff? And, and he has this moment of wondering. And then it's like this light bulb goes off. And he's like, I know. 
It's this genius idea. Build bigger storehouses. Build it bigger. It's genius, right? He's, this guy's got to be a financial planner. Like, I want to hire him as my financial planner. Store up for myself for years to come so I don't have to worry about working. I can relax. I can sit back. And, and it's this vision of the good life that we see immediately. And yet, ultimately, God shows up. And what does he do? He rebukes the man. He rebukes the man, and he calls him a fool. He doesn't call him evil or immoral. He calls him a fool. Why? Because the man had missed the point. He had missed the whole point of, of his stuff. He had missed it. Somewhere along the way, he got a vision of what the good life could look like. And in this vision, he's alone with his stuff, surrounded by material things, food, drink, pleasures, no care in the world. And I think sometimes we can be critical of this man. And this is what was kind of unsettling me this week. We can look at this story and we can, we can look at this man and think, oh, what a crazy man. And yet sometimes I think, isn't this us? Isn't this the way sometimes we think? Don't many of us work hard to get a life of sitting back, relaxing, putting our feet up, not having to worry about work, about people, about life's problems? What is shaping your vision of the good life? I worked, uh, I worked as a window cleaner for like two years in Kelowna. And uh, one, of the, one of the cool things about working a job like that is most people that get, are getting their windows cleaned are um, uh, people that have really nice homes. And so often they have homes on the lake or with a view of the lake. And, uh, and I would go into these homes that, no joke, like sometimes have 10 or 12 bedrooms. And there's two people living there. There's two people in this giant castle and, and there's rooms then for everything because you can't just have 10 empty bedrooms. You've got to have a workout room, right? You've got to have the home theater, um, but then you've got to be creative. You've got to have like the room that's like the sports memorabilia. So you've just got jerseys everywhere. You've got a room full of jerseys signed by, like no one even knows who these people are. You've got, you've got the bar room. You've got the, the, the pool room uh, where there's just a big pool table and darts uh, and, and and I, I was repeatedly just struck by this vision, this idea that people have that uh, if I can just get more, it's this idea of the good life. One more room, one more thing, one more uh, pleasure. Our culture, it gives us a vision of what the good life is. And it's largely focused on material things, right? Society tells us that the good life consists of getting a good paying job, uh, so that you can get a good house, a good vehicle, you can retire early with lots left over. It's this idea that, uh, it's this narrative that shapes us. It shapes us. And oftentimes, at, the, at the, the crux of it, the pinnacle of it, it's this idea of your personal happiness. Your personal happiness is the most important thing in life. And so we hear it in phrases like, to each their own, or, well, that's not my problem, because my personal happiness is what's most important. What is shaping your vision of the good life? And does your vision of the good life primarily consist of just focusing on yourself, or is it bigger than that? Because in this story, in this parable, that was the man's 
vision. It was just him and his stuff. Listen to what Kenneth Bailey says about just kind of the Middle Eastern context that Jesus is speaking to. He says this, In the Middle East, village people make decisions about important topics after long discussions with their friends. Families, communities, and villages are tightly knit together. Everybody's business is everybody else's business. Even trivial decisions are made after hours of discussions with family and friends. But this man appears to have no friends. He lives in isolation from the human family around him. And with an important decision to make, the only person with whom he can dialogue with is himself. The man imagines he will be fully satisfied with material things for his entire life. He imagines eating, drinking, and relaxing are the highest forms of satisfaction. This man was not foolish because he had stuff. And so if you're a financial planner here uh, and you want to throw something at me right now, don't throw anything yet. Uh, if, you, if, you're, if you have stuff and you have a big home, uh, don't feel too uncomfortable. The, the problem is not our stuff. The problem is when our focus becomes solely on ourself. This man was foolish because he was only concerned about himself. He assumed his possessions were all he needed, and his focus was inward. Listen just to how he reasons with himself. This is where he's, he realizes he's got too much stuff. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain. He, do you hear the I and the my pronouns? His focus was only on himself. And maybe you're here and you're like, okay, I get it. Uh, uh, it's not me, though. And, and if I asked you if you were greedy, you'd probably say no. I would say no. Jesus instructs the people in this text to watch out for greed. And, and Tim Keller, he writes about this, about greed, and he's, he has this to say. He says, Tim Keller is a pastor and an author. He says, greed is different than other sins. Jesus did not say to anybody, watch out, you might be committing adultery. If you're committing adultery, you know you're committing adultery. You don't say, oh, you're not my wife. It doesn't happen. But Jesus has to say, watch out, you might be greedy. Greed hides itself. It blinds you in a way that adultery doesn't. Over the years, he goes on, over the years as a pastor, I've had people come in to talk to me about sins, but I don't remember anybody coming to me to confess the sin of greed. See, greed isolates us from people. When we put, when we put our stuff in the place of God, we isolate ourselves from God and from people. And often, the more wealthy you become, the more separated you become. This is true of many cultures. Do you notice how the, the wealthiest people, they're the most secluded? Like they have the plot of land in the corner of the city with like a gate and a fence and a, and a brick wall. You can't get at them. They're so isolated. But when God shows up in this story and he takes the man's stuff, what is the man left with? Nothing. He's left with nothing because all he had was his possessions. What was shaping his vision of the good life? What is shaping your vision of the good life? Nowhere in this man's vision of the good life do we see what I, I believe is central to the Bible, what I believe is central to life itself, which is relationship. It's the thing we were created for. 
And his greed in this story, the man's greed isolated him from relationship. See, God has created us for relationship. And this is where I'm going tonight. The biblical vision of the good life is one of relationship with people and with God. We see this in Genesis. Sometimes we think in Genesis, the very first thing that goes wrong is that Adam and Eve sinned, right? And sin entered the world. Um, but if you look closely, God is, is creating in this Genesis poem. He's creating, and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. Uh, the, the sun and the moon and the stars, they're good. And the plants and the animals, they're good. And then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. See, God created us for relationship. We can't live without it. We can't live without it. And, and really, this, this theme of relationship, it goes throughout all of Scripture. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing? He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Relationship, it's the foundation of life. It's central to life. It's why God made us. And, and, and we know that when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, we can't really separate those two. When we love God, we will love our neighbor. When we love our neighbor, we're loving God because God created people. If we're rich towards God, we'll be rich towards the people around us. There's, there's a connection there. God created you for a relationship. And that's why Jesus rebukes this man not because he has lots of stuff. Your stuff is fine. But because he put his goods above God, he put his possessions above relationship. And when left with a very practical decision about what he should do with his excess stuff, his focus was inward, not outward. He was rich in himself. He was not rich towards God. Sometimes I think in our Christian culture, we put other things above God. It maybe isn't wealth for you, though I imagine uh, greed and wealth and money and success and fame, all that is a struggle, because I think it is for all of us. But maybe that's not the big one for you. Maybe, and sometimes I think in our Christian culture, it's marriage. Like marriage is the ultimate goal. It's the good life. If, if I'm married, I'll be fulfilled and complete and whole. Or maybe it's your family. Like family is the ultimate good in life. We put things above God the biblical vision of the good life is one of relationship. God has created you for it. And St. Augustine, he famously said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Right? Jesus says, most important thing, love God, love others. Jesus, God has wired us in such a way that we crave relationship. That's why you're here tonight. Let's be honest, you could have YouTubed a better sermon than this tonight. Right? And actually, you probably maybe wouldn't have been able to get a better worship set because the band was so good tonight. But uh, you could have stayed home and had everything that we have here, right? You could have had a great sermon from one of your favorite preachers. You could have YouTubed some great uh, worship songs. And you could have had this moment of you and God, but you, you didn't. You came here because you crave relationship. We're made for it. We can't live without it. That's why loneliness is such a big deal. We see when, when people are on their deathbed what's most important, right? People, when they're on their deathbed, they have a framed photo of the ones they love. Can you imagine how crazy it would be if someone had a framed photo of the newest iPhone next to their deathbed? 
or like the newest Ford F-150 with like jacked up truck, uh, tires and like chrome rims and chrome handlebars or a steering wheel or whatever. <laughs> I don't drive a truck, I drive a Corolla. <laughs> Small Corolla, 2004. The biblical vision of the good life is one of relationship, of, of harmony. Uh, the, the, the Old Testament and the Bible, it uses this word shalom, of, of peace and prosperity and harmony between people and God and people and people. You were made for it. And yet, in order to do this, it requires us to look outside of ourselves Right, culture has this, this vision of the good life that says your personal happiness is the ultimate good. That doesn't really cut it. You have to look outside of yourself. Scripture teaches you have to die to yourself. It's this great paradox of Scripture. When you lose your life, you find it. When you die to yourself, you find life. When you look beyond yourself, then that's where you find it. And it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. Sometimes it includes suffering. And Jesus is our great example of this. Jesus is our example of of a self-sacrificial love, of dying to self and living for others. Because on the cross, Jesus emptied himself and took the sin of the world upon him so that you and I could experience this unhindered relationship with God himself. Sometimes we think the gospel is that Jesus died for my sin or that I get to go to heaven. Jesus died for your sin that you might experience a relationship with God himself. It's good news. It's what we were made for. Rather than focusing on himself, Jesus sacrificed all of himself in order that we might experience the rich and abundant life that God has created you for. What is shaping your vision of the good life? You will be disappointed, and I'm going to close in a second. You will be disappointed time and time again when you put something else in the place of God, when you put your goods above God, when you put your marriage above God, when you put, uh, uh, whether it's wealth or, or, or fame or your possessions or your stuff, your iPhone, you will be disappointed. Those things don't fulfill, and yet... Jesus has done everything that is necessary for you to experience the full life of God here on earth. Jesus has done everything necessary to bring you to God himself, to reconcile you to relationship with God, shalom, peace, harmony with God himself. He has given us a way to experience the fullness of life. Do you know it? What is shaping your vision of the good life? I'm struck by this, uh, the fact that many people that they hope. Um, Jim Carrey, you know Jim Carrey, the actor, comedian. Uh, a guy who had everything. He, he had fame, he had fortune. He says this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer Jesus has made a way for you to experience what is central to life itself, relationship with God. We crave it, we long for it, we need it. And he invites us into that. He invites us into that. Do you know it? 
So does your vision of the good life include one where God is at the center and your other relationships find their place in it? Or does your vision of the good life look like something different, like this man's, where you have your stuff, you can sit back, relax? Jesus calls us to more, and, he, and, and it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling. Until you know it, until you've experienced it, you will search for other things, and they will disappoint you. But Jesus invites us into that tonight. He invites us into the, that tomorrow. When we come to him and we say, Father, I've sinned, he says, it's good. I've forgiven you. He reconciles us time and time again. And so let me pray for you as we close. Father, we, uh, we need your vision of the good life, and we need you to come and sometimes shake us up and rattle us and reorient us, redirect us towards a biblical vision of the good life, one that satisfies and sustains and fulfills. And so we come to you, God, uh, and maybe we come, God, and we just need to repent of the things that we've put above you, whether that's our goods, maybe some of our other relationships. But we ask, God, that you would come and reorient us as we leave from here, as we go into the school year, as we go into the work week, as maybe we, we wonder what's next. We're looking for a job, looking for a place to live. God, would you reorient us towards a vision of the good life, one that has you at the center. thank you, God. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done, that you have given us access to the Father, that you have given us access to a relationship that we long for desperately. And so come, God, come and shape us in a way that only you can do. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.